So yesterday, we were uh, with all the kids in the house pretty much the whole day, and I had this great idea. And my great idea is we should put the two older girls' beds together again and make bunk beds. My wife, she was really excited about this big change we wanted to make in their room. Because with that big change comes cleaning all of those things. And they've had their rooms pretty much set up for almost like five years now, just how they've been. So I constructed the beds, put them all up, and then I left the room and Debbie was helping them. And this was the phrase, the motherly phrase I heard from my wife. She said, trash is not a toy, right? (laughs) Uh, My little hoarders have taken all kinds of things, right? And they put it all around their beds. And so there's, there's, you know, the little vending machine uh, plastic deals. There's like 400 of them under one of their beds. And it's like, what are you doing hoarding this? You know, and uh, so Debbie, again, her phrase, trash is not a toy. And uh, <clears throat> so I've been saying that last few days, or last day is trash is not a toy. See, on January 1st, we began a series, and last week, we began this 40 days of prayer and fasting. And then this 40 days, the the intent of this, the intent is, I I think, kind of like our girls, and maybe kids during this, or adults, but we do kind of, trash is not a toy in a different way in our lives, is there's this stuff we just kind of collect around our lives that we don't realize we're collecting. Some of them are negative things like there's this anger just kind of gets up close to us and then there's some bitterness and then there's all these other things that we stack up around our life that comes sometimes because we brought it on ourselves and sometimes because people brought it around us and we don't know what to do with it and so we stuff it down the side of the bed we stuff it under the bed we put it in the nightstand and before we know it our life is kind of cluttered with all kinds of things. And what we wanted to do is just move into a season. I really felt impressed by the Lord about, I mean, I would say like mid-November that as we went into the new year that we, I felt as a church, we needed to move into a season of pressing into the Lord and letting him do some work in our lives and me included of him revealing things to us that maybe we're unaware of. I don't think my girls were quite aware of all the stuff that had collected around their beds. Making space, right, for the one who is the priority. Now, in Scripture, um, this is how it works in Scripture, pretty much as an axiom of life. When you're obedient to God, you get, I don't know if you want to guess, the blessing of God. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking necessarily about treasures and money. All that, That's not what I would call the blessing of God. I think the greatest blessing of God is his power, it's his presence, and it's his peace. And if you've ever lived apart from his power, it's fairly miserable. Apart from his peace, it's pretty miserable. And apart from his presence, it's terrible. Psalm 51, David said, oh Lord, don't don't depart from me. But this clutter in our lives can tend to cut out God. And so obedience to God equals blessing. But in the same way, all throughout Scripture, what we see is disobedience leads to conflict. When we disobey God, we undoubtedly are going to have conflict with him and conflict with others. So would you agree with me on this, that obedience equals blessing, 
And disobedience equals conflict. Anybody with me on this? All right. So let's read together 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10. So this morning, if you will, stand with me as we read God's word. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10 reads, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Lord, would you honor today, Lord, the reading of your word, and God, would you you help us to see it clearly, that we might respond rightly to what you've said Lord, use me, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in this passage, what we're going to see is that Paul is writing to Timothy, his disciple. And in his writings, he's going to give him advice, give him encouragement, spur him on to faithfulness. And in this section, Paul's charge to Timothy is twofold. He's going to expose error. He's saying, hey, 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 Timothy, what you need to do is you need to expose errors of belief. And the other thing you need to do is is help develop personal holiness in people's lives. So expose error and develop personal holiness. And so kind of there's three big truths as we look at this text. So the first big truth is to move forward. So it says it like this in verses 6 and 7. We're going to kind of read it and, and unpack it. So move forward, meaning keep your eye on the right prize. Is it, is, isn't it challenging to keep our eyes on the right thing in the day-to-day of life, in our wants, in our hopes, and our desires? And what Paul is going to charge Timothy in this text is keep your eye on the right prize. Move forward. So he says, if you, if you put these things before the brothers, verse 6, And so he's saying to gently warn them about, and kind of, he spoke of this before, he's going to speak of it again, but he's going to say, warn them about religious practice and rules for the sake of religious practice and rules. So the struggle that he had with the people he was working with was they thought that the rules and the practice was the big deal. And so if you kept the rules and you kept the practice, it was called asceticism. And what this was, was this kind of moving a way of like, you have to act this way, you have to do this thing, you have to beat your body, you have to go to extreme measures, like of, of, of absolving, of, 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 of not partaking in order to be a holy person. And he's saying to them, gently warn them about this religious practice and rules for the sake of religious practice and rules. And so it works like this. Rules are like the religious practice isn't an end in of itself. So coming to church on Sunday, thank you for coming today, is not an end in of itself. And so this act in which you did, God is pleased by that. But if it doesn't produce anything beyond that, you miss the point of the thing. 
To get up in the morning to read your Bible and say, I read my Bible, now I can go do whatever I want. You miss the point of the thing. The, The thing is supposed to shape you for the future. It's supposed to shape you, shape us into godliness. And so this forward movement, he's saying, if you put these things before the brothers, see, they they weren't moving forward. And there's this urge of, of you've made it about the practice. You've made it about the rules. You haven't made it about God. You haven't made it about moving forward with him. And so he says, if you do this, if you teach them this, it says that you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, meaning this is really important. Don't miss this. And the text continues, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, meaning being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you follow, meaning you've never arrived, Timothy. Press on, never stop growing. And then it says, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, meaning that there's these babble and these talks and these myths that are going on. Don't become distracted. Some things aren't even worth a conversation. So, so in this, what we see, maybe a, a truth of moving forward, is God does not desire for us to rest on two things, past experience nor a set of rituals. God does not desire for us to rest on a past experience or a set of rituals, but on a past experience with present learning and intended future result, meaning that God wants us to move forward in our faith, take new ground, move into his peace, move into his presence, move into his power, that we keep on swimming, that we keep on going, that we don't stop running, that we move forward in this race that he has called us to. So maybe this morning, one of the things and questions you might ask yourself is simply this. Has there ever been in a time in your life where you've loved Jesus more than you do today? Where his peace and his presence and his power were more real in the past than they are in the present. The faith is not made to be something that was wonderful back then. It's wonderful right now. And I can't wait to see what is going to come. See, this making space, what God, I believe, wants of us, not just in this series, all the time in our life, is to take actual inventory of where we are. Because I believe, and I believe this is true, is that we never can fill ourselves enough up with God. And he is always giving us more and more and more and more. The second truth that we see in the text is this call to pursue godliness. Verses 8 and 9 say it like this. <clears throat> so, so pursuing godliness and meaning, again, his power, his presence, his peace, overwhelming our life. Godliness. So it says it like this. Rather train yourself, end of verse 7, rather train yourself for godliness. So he's saying don't focus on all of these things. Don't focus on silly myths. Train yourself for godliness. Seek after God. This right belief that leads to right action, obedience in our lives. So it's not just what I think, but it's also from what I think to what I do with my life. Then he's going to go into this illustration, which I love it because it makes me not want to work out. And so it says, then I'll blow it. So it says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Well, actually, it's not saying, just so you know, it's not talking about physical exercise in this text little hermeneutic or a way to interpret scripture, Um, the context always, right, the context decides what the text is saying. And so Paul didn't just like randomly change into physical exercise in this. 
what he's speaking of is this set of rituals and rules. And he's, what he's speaking of is this kind of physical exercise, what I am forcing my body to do, what I'm forcing my faith to do. And so he's not speaking of physical exercise in this text at all. What he's saying is <clears throat> this set of rituals that they had kind of prescribed to, he's saying this is of some value. So it's good to have self-control. It's good to have discipline in the body in regards to its appetites and to personal control. And so what Paul is saying is you're, you're not totally wrong in your self-control. You're not totally wrong in, in, in denying your flesh and denying your body of certain things. What he's saying is you kind of, you made this the big thing. And the, that's, you kind of have it upside down. And so what does he say? Godliness is of value in every way. Godliness is the possession of God flowing outward in my life. And the pursuit of God will lead to godliness in the day-to-day life. And so the pursuit of God will lead to right rituals. The pursuit of God will lead to right behavior. The pursuit of God will lead to the right things. But you've made it about the rules, hoping that you're going to get to God through the rules. But you've got to get to God to get it right. They flipped it. So he says, godliness of value as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Meaning there is no loss in focusing on godliness because it benefits today and forever. There is no end to the benefit of pursuing godliness in our own lives. Then, verse 9, very beginning, it says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Meaning, say this over and over and over again, while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Meaning the most valuable thing that any of us can do in this room is pursue God. Chase after him, seek him, allow his presence to fill every facet of our life that we might live in his power and that we might live in his peace. I don't know if you desire this. I definitely long for it increasingly in my life is that his presence and his power and his peace would be overwhelming in my life. Because this world is full of a lot of struggle, it's full of a lot of trial, it's full of a lot of confusion, and when I live in his power, when I live in his presence, and I live in his peace, it gives me the ability to face the trials that are always surrounding me in the day-to-day of life. The last truth that we see in this text is a charge to be hopeful. It says, being hopeful, meaning that there's good ahead of us, there's good ahead of you in this life. Verse 10 says, for to this end we toil and strive. For to this end we toil and strive. Meaning this toil and strive, strenuous activity that takes your energy. If you're going to go after God, it is going to take time and it's going to take energy. This isn't something that just happens. He says, to this end we toil and strive. This strenuous activity that takes energy, toil, strive, because we have set our hope on the living God, meaning energy that is joyously spent because of the prize ahead, that taking up our cross as we wait for our crown, I am joyfully extending and toiling and striving for the one who was crucified and died for me on the cross. I love Jesus. I want more of him in my life because I have set my hope on the living God. He didn't just say hope on God. This was really important. He says hope on the living God because he's saying God is not dead. He is alive. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. He is working. He is able. He is powerful in this world. We do not serve a dead God. We serve an alive, risen Savior because we have set our hope on the living God, energy that is joyously spent because of the prize ahead. 
because we set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? Not wishing any to perish, but for all to come to eternal. This is the desired will of God, the Savior of all. He came to die for all. And then it says, especially of those who will believe. The reality for those who have received him. Know this joyous hope that is ours. But as we see this, as we look at it, there's this, there's this hopeful, hopefulness that we can have, yet it's so hard to find. This week, um, our <clears throat> children's ministry director, Judy McClintock, her mother passed away. And these are those moments that I say, these are like really sacred spaces I get to enter into with families. And I sat around their kitchen table just a few days ago, and we were preparing services for this Tuesday. And I asked a question, we're all done, is tell me about your mom's faith. Five girls, right? It was like a, it was like a glimpse into my future. And uh, five girls sitting around the table, her father, and I said, tell me about Tell me about your mom's faith. And they began to talk. I say, she would sit for two hours at night reading her Bible. She was listening to messages. She did this. She was contemplating things. She, Judy said, just a few weeks ago, she told me how she'd learned something new that she'd totally not seen correctly about David. And she toiled and strived and sought after this. Since they spoke, all that I could think of was Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience. The, the fruits of the Spirit were flowing out of Edna Raver's life. And even up to her last day, she had six hours of really like consciousness with her family. And she just kept saying over and over, I just want to go be with Jesus. I just want to go be with Jesus. There is a hopefulness inside of God's people that this life is not the end, it's just the beginning. And there's this way in which we can live that, that provides this hopefulness. And when I was sitting in that room, it was such a sad room, but it was such a hopeful room. Hopefulness is something that we can have. We can be hopeful. But there are barriers to this, isn't there? There's barriers to moving forward. There's barriers to pursuing godliness. And there's barriers to being hopeful. See, for, for many of us, there are these issues that we face. And they're found in kind of the middle of this text in 8 and 9. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the one to come. There's this promise that this life is wonderful, the presence, the power, the peace of Jesus. But when it gets hard, I think we typically, and this isn't a rule, but typically what happens is two things. <clears throat> well, maybe three. So one is we, we press on and we persevere. But that's not what happens with everybody. And they probably all happen at one point in time in our life. Is for some, we just quit. Maybe it's an experience we had in a church. Maybe somebody being ugly. Maybe it was this or that. But somewhere along the line, we say, I'm done. Raise your hand if you know somebody who just quit. I know. I know lots of people that just said, I'm done. 
I think the more prevailing one is it gets hard, and so we just fake it. We just say Christian words, we do Christian stuff, and we fake it. And you see this because if I were to go into ABF today, prayer request time, going around, we're praying for this sick person, that sick person, that sick person, right? All the stuff, which is good. We should do that. I said, hey, if you could pray for me, um, I've, I've just felt the need like, to gossip and to throw some people under the bus lately, and I'm really struggling with that. Could you pray for me about that? Anybody else felt that way ever in life? You don't say that to anybody, do you? It's unacceptable, right? Because none of us struggle in this room because we've learned to fake it. I got it together. Got my sweater on sort of right. Some of you wish I had a tie on underneath it, right? Like, we, we learn to kind of play the part and to do the thing. And we just do it over and over and over. There's, there's barriers. And these barriers sometimes are typically kind of, there's a point in time where we can look back to where we made a critical decision. Maybe it was a point in time where we sinned, where we, where we did something, but there's a point in time where the power, the presence, the peace of God just kind of fluttered off. Can't define it. We don't know where it is. But that point in time typically was where the barrier began. I think in Scripture, and there's more, but I'm just going to give us three this morning barriers that I think are pervasive for us and just fairly common. The first is unconfessed sin. Sin, breaking God's law, right? Breaking God's law. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so these are simple things like lying. They become this normative part of our life. And in our marriage say, if you're married, lying became this thing that you did once that you've had to keep up with for a long time, and lying is sin. Sin brings separation. Now, in, this is if you're in the faith, okay? In the faith, like, it brings a separation. It brings this chasm between me and God. And I'm unwilling to confess it. Why? Because I'm prideful. I don't want to admit fault. I don't want to admit wrong. And so I live in kind of this world of unconfessed sin. Some point in time where I said no to God. And maybe unconfessed sin is just simple things like God called you into the ministry and you said no. I'm going my own way. And from that moment on, you have felt the distancing of God in your life. It wasn't him that walked away. It was you moment in time in your life where God told you to do something and you said, no. I'm uncomfortable with that. I'm not going to do it. You can't make me. And from that moment on, you began to feel this distancing. Unconfessed sin, the other the scripture speaks of over and over is broken relationships. Now, in broken relationships, we can deal with it maybe in 
couple ways. You can be either the offender or the offended. I have been both multiple times in my life. Anybody with me, right? I'm married, right? The offender or the offended. The offender, right, what this does inside of you, it leads to guilt, it leads to shame, it leads to pain, and it leads to suffering. And you live with this nagging guilt, this nagging pain, and this nagging suffering. The offended, when I've been hurt or harmed, it leads to anger and it leads to bitterness. And we live, and it can be high levels or low levels of these things. The way in which we step through these, right, if so unconfessed sin, I need to confess it to God. Broken relationships, I need to go to somebody. And I need to say, hey, I really hurt you. And I've gone before God and asked his forgiveness, and now I need your forgiveness. Sometimes, though, being the offended is hard because the offender doesn't even know they offended you. And so sometimes it's not really appropriate to go to them because you're going to compound harm. And so sometimes it's just going before God and saying, God, release this bitterness in my heart and help me to love this person who didn't love me well. Give you a little advice on that. Private sin should be dealt with privately. Personal sin should be dealt with personally. And public sin should be dealt with publicly. Unconfessed sin, broken relationships, and maybe, maybe a big one is our past. Paul says it like this in Philippians 3.13, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. It's easy to look back in our past and feel like we can't. I'm too bad. My sins are too great. I am too ugly and too tarnished to be any good to God. In our past, holds us back from moving forward with him. Louisa Fletcher Tarkington in The Christian Advocate 1920 wrote, I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all of our past mistakes and heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. Amen, Louisa. I'd say to us today, if you've never received forgiveness from Jesus... I call you to this today. Turn to Jesus today and surrender your life to him and receive forgiveness for your sin. And when Jesus takes your sin, we just took communion, we celebrate this, his blood on the cross covers all, all my sin. And so if you've never received forgiveness from Jesus, today would be a great day for the first time in your life to deal with your past by saying, Jesus, forgive me for what I've done. Come into my life. Restore me, change me, renew me. But maybe for you, you are in the faith, but, but you just are held back by your past constantly. I tell you today, remember the forgiveness you were given at the cross. And stop denying the power of the cross because for some reason your sin was greater than the blood of Jesus. Holding on to your past is one of the most arrogant things that you can do to deny the blood and the power of Jesus Christ on the cross. His blood is strong enough to even forgive your great indiscretions and sin against him. Holding on to this hope.
So the question this morning is what is holding you back from the power and the peace and the presence of God in your life? What's holding you back from forward movement, pursuing God, godliness and hopefulness? And what are you willing to do about it? I hope you simply say, and I, I, I bet God has already done this. He has revealed some stuff to you this morning. When we walk through unconfessed sin, broken relationships, the past, there were these things that God was saying you need to do. The question is, not will we just recognize I need to do it, but will we, be, will we obey God and do it? So in 2 Kings, there's a story. You wondered why this wood was here. There's a story. And in the story, there's uh, it's this peculiar section of 2 Kings. Because all of a sudden, there's this set of miracles. And all of a sudden, Elijah has a school of prophets and They all say, hey, we need to go to our own place. This place is crowded. We need to build our own homes and build our own places. Now, they'd taken a vow of poverty, so they didn't have a lot of tools to do this. And so one of the guys borrows an axe head. And so he borrows the axe head. He goes, and they start chopping down trees, and he loses his axe head. Axe head goes in the water, and he's distraught. Elijah, help me. I've lost axe head. I'm destitute. I'll never be able to to return this to my borrower. Help me out. And so Elijah goes over the water, puts a, a, a stick, and... Um, And the axe head floats up, and he takes it back, and the man has it restored. And maybe today that's just a metaphor for our lives. The question that we ask is, in our life, maybe imagine with me that, that this, right? This axe handle is you. This is all of your gifts, all of your skills, all of your abilities, all of your knowledge, all of your experience, all that you are, your past, your history, everything that you are, right, without God, this axe handle. And what we tend to do when we quit is we just throw the axe handle to the side and say, I'm done. Or what we do is when we fake it, it looks like this. We kind of try to do things on our own, so we swing an axe handle, right? That hurts, right? Rattles the hands a bit. And... uh, It's a bit painful, and and when we fake it, some of us have learned that it rattles our hands enough, but we can just keep going, and if you swing fast enough, it looks like you're actually doing something, right? If you swing fast enough, it looks like you're moving. But maybe the question this morning is, what's it going to take for you to get the axe head back on the handle of your life, the power and the presence and the peace of God? See, I believe that you can point back to a time in our lives where something changed. Maybe it was a moment of disobedience, unconfessed sin, broken relationship, or something else I didn't even say today. The question is, what are you going to do so that when you begin to move forward, see, an axe head changes everything, doesn't it? Because when I get the axe head back out of my life, I can actually start to make movement. And I can begin to move forward in my life. And I don't live just banging on wood, acting like I'm moving forward. What's it going to take for you to get the axe head back on the handle of your life? A few years ago, somebody asked me that question. It was the most important moment of my life to this date in the faith. Because there were some things that I had to do 
to be right with God. And they were really hard things. They, they weren't easy. And my lesson from stepping through them was, Jesus, I love you more than this hard conversation. And I desire your presence so much that I'm willing to have that hard conversation so that I can have you. Because my fear of having it is not even close to the fear I have of not having you. The question, not the question, but the statement maybe that you could make to the Lord in the next few moments as we sing a song is, Father, I give you freedom to do whatever you want in my life. What's it going to take for you to get the axe handle back on your life? That's really what making space is all about. It's pressing into the Lord and saying, reveal anything in me that doesn't look like you. Anything in me that is a barrier between me and you so that I can live for you, so that I can look like you, I can love you without any hindrance. Mike is going to sing a song. The song's called Clear the Stage. It's a song I just want you to listen to. And as you listen, maybe you say what I just said a moment ago to the Lord. Father, I give you freedom to do whatever you want in my life. Would you commit with me this? Strong. Whatever God tells you to do, will you do it? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going to ask that question again. I want you to raise your hand, so eyes closed, heads bowed. If you're willing today to do whatever God tells you to do in regards to these areas, will you slip up your hand this morning? Listen to this song. Pray that to him today. And whatever he reveals, as you're committing now, respond. Father, we do pray that you reveal to us, Jesus, these things, these barriers. So that we might love you and we might look like you. Jesus, we want your power. We want your presence. We want your peace. We want to move forward. We want to pursue you. We want to be hopeful. So Jesus, would you, would you help us to do whatever it is you say. Lord, you have freedom in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.